The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Uh, We're going to read this here. This is our preaching text for this morning. Um, as we will spend a couple of minutes here uh, working through just a reflection on like, what exactly is being said here in these verses and how it's good news for you and me. So I'm going to encourage you to stand to your feet if you wouldn't mind. Uh, if you've seen this in movies before, right, when a king enters in, what do we do? You stand in honor of the king. Well, our God, our king has spoken to us and he has spoken good news. And this is one way that we can honor the king by standing and as we listen to him speak. So carried along by the Holy Spirit, the prophet Isaiah wrote these things about the salvation that has come and what it will look like in the Savior. Isaiah 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is the word of God. You guys can be seated. Well, our sermon title this morning is Salvation Has Come. If you have been around Christianity at all, if you've heard anything from the Bible ever before, you will know a very churchy word, a very Bible word is this word salvation. And it's a word that means someone has been saved or someone can bring something or do something to save someone. And so what you see here in Isaiah 11 verses 1 through 9 is what salvation looks like when the Bethlehem baby who we celebrate at Christmas time accomplishes what he came to accomplish on the cross. If you're ever like, well, what what is a foresight picture of what that looks like? Here it is. This is an Old Testament picture of what salvation looks like. And so if you remember over the past several weeks, we've been looking at the Old Testament prophets and we've been saying things like this, a messenger is coming. That's what Malachi said. Micah said, a shepherd is coming. Isaiah said, a king is coming. And this morning's sermon is titled, Salvation Has Come. We don't have to long forward anymore because we can look backward and see that with the birth of the baby Jesus, 
came the salvation we need, and we can now talk about it in past tense. Salvation has come. So the main idea this morning is this. In Jesus, God's gift of salvation has come. I think that's what Isaiah is trying to get us to see here. In Jesus, God's gift of salvation has come. So I'm going to do what I normally do. I'm going to pause. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask for the Holy Spirit to use me. I'm going to ask for the Holy Spirit to just pierce your hearts and your minds. If your mind is like my mind, I'm already thinking about the Christmas gifts under the tree tomorrow. Yes. Anyone else? Okay. Some of us are going to be opening those gifts tonight. Uh, Jesus is giving you a gift right now this morning, and it's the gift of his word. It's the gift of having an opportunity to pause in the midst of all the all the Christmas uh, cheer and going and coming, that kind of thing, a gift is being given to you and me this morning. It's the gift of being able to hear God speak to us clearly. And you know as well as I do, our hearts and minds can sometimes just get a little clouded and be busy. Some of us are already thinking about the lunches and the meals we need to prepare. So let's pray and ask for the Holy Spirit to speak clearly. So let's do that now. Jesus, we come to you. We want to see you clearly. Father, we need uh, your Spirit to come to not only assist me, who also needs to have my mind tuned, my heart open, my eyes open to see Jesus as I preach and communicate this message, but my fellow Jesus family members here this morning, Lord, we we need your Spirit to help us. And so we're asking that. Holy Spirit, would you bring a calm, a hush over our busy hearts and minds and give us a view of Jesus that is crystal clear this morning that would stir our hearts to worship the King who is worthy to be worshipped. It is in the name of King Jesus, all God's people said, Amen. My guess is if you've heard this phrase or you've read this phrase, maybe you've even said this phrase at work, in your own home, uh, maybe to your kids. The phrase goes something like this, Talk is cheap, I need to see results right? Talk is cheap. I need to see results. At some point in time, in some way, all of us have felt the truthfulness of this phrase. Why? Like, what are we communicating when we look at someone and say, talk is cheap? Like, give me the results. Show me, show me the results. What we're communicating is this. We're believing this. Anyone can say anything with their words. I can come in and just say all kinds of stuff to you. Anyone can say anything with their words. It's easy to promise to someone, I promise, I will do this thing. Or to come and say to someone, maybe your children, I promise this thing will happen. Tomorrow we're going to do it. But then for any number of reasons, our words don't come to pass. And we don't do what we've promised to do. What we all know is that talk is cheap And the way cheap talk gets revealed as not cheap talk, but real talk is when actions come along and I can actually bring to pass the thing that was promised to be done. We all know that the real deal is whether or not someone can keep their promise and actually do what they say. Has anyone ever ever seen this before in their own lives? Yes. Okay, we've all been there before. Like I've just said, over the past three weeks, we've heard three distinct promises from the Old Testament prophets. Isaiah promised to the people of God, guys, hold on, I understand things are dark, but there's a king who is coming who will pierce the darkness of light. Just hold on. I promise you this is going to happen. 
And then you had a prophet named Micah, and Micah and Isaiah were friends. They lived together around the same time, and Micah was telling God's people at that time, listen, guys, I know, I know things are chaotic. I know things are in chaos, but what you need to know is that a shepherd is coming, and this shepherd will bring peace like you've never seen before. Just hold out. Hold on. And then 300 years go by from Isaiah and Micah, and then a prophet named Malachi showed up. And the prophet Malachi said, guys, I know that the things that Micah and Isaiah were talking about actually happened. We got exiled to another country, but we've now come back, and things haven't really looked any better. And what we need is a messenger who's going to come, a messenger who's not just going to be cheap talk, but a messenger who can actually come and speak a better word, a messenger who can actually come and do what he promises to do. All three times, if you just think about it, these men, these prophets, were using their own words to make promises, right? They had a pencil in the hand and a piece of paper, and they were writing this down. They were speaking like Isaiah, Malachi, Micah would speak. But it's also important to remember that as prophets of God, their words weren't merely their words. Their words were ultimately God's words. So this wasn't just three men making things up. I don't know, it's a prophet. I guess you've got to say something about Jesus at some point in time. So they're just throwing words, hoping they stick. No, they are speaking on behalf of God. And so what this means is that the words of the prophets, their promises are ultimately whose promises? They're ultimately the promises of God. God is speaking. The promises they spoke were God's promises to a, a weary world. Now, when someone makes a promise to us, what often happens? If you're like me and you've lived life long enough, when someone comes along and starts saying, I promise this, I promise that, I promise this thing will happen, immediately your false hope radar goes into overdrive, doesn't it? Because we've been burned one, one too many times. We've heard somebody say, I promise, and then only for that promise to fall flat on its face and everything they promised did not come to pass. And so when someone comes along and says, I promise a messenger, I promise a king, I promise a shepherd, we can read this in the scripture with a hesitancy in our heart, a hesitancy in our mind. Why? Because we've been burned one too many times by promises unkept. Our fear in the moment when someone makes a promise, our fear is that the person talking is about to overpromise and under-deliver. But the invitation of Christmas for you and the invitation of Christmas for me is to come and see that God is not in the business of cheap talk. God is not a cheap-talking God. God is the God of real talk. God is the God who says what He means and means what He says. And because He's not a liar, what He says will come to pass. Our living God is the promise maker, but more importantly, He is the promise keeper. And that is the glories of our God. He cannot lie. He makes promises, and then He says this check of this promise can be cashed, and you're not going to find insufficient funds in the promise bank of heaven. I will bring this thing to pass. In other words, when God says, this thing will happen, you can rest your head on your pillow at night with the absolute certain assurance that this thing will happen. Take all of this, 
put it on your eyes, the eyes of your heart, the eyes of your mind, and now look at the text of Isaiah chapter 11. Because in Isaiah 11, we get a flavor of what God's promises are about as it relates to salvation. We get a flavor of this when Isaiah uses the word shall 19 different times. Did you notice that? All through Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 9, at least in my copy of, my, uh, of Scripture, yours might have been the word will, but it's there shall come forth a shoot. This shoot shall bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest. The delight of the Lord shall be in this one. He shall not judge. He shall judge the poor. He's going to strike the wicked. He's going to wear righteousness and faithfulness like a belt. And then when you get into verses 6, 7, 8, and 9, it's like what will the effects, the consequences of the coming salvation of this figure, it shall look like this. It shall look like this. At 19 different times, it's like, okay, I think we get it. God's making a promise to us. And this isn't cheap talk, this is real talk. Like a battering ram designed to break down barriers, Isaiah 19 different times is pummeling our fear. What kind of fear? The fear that, is God a promise keeper only? Is he a promise maker only? Like, is he both? Is he one or the other? Like, I don't even know if he's a promise Keeper, let alone am I going to trust him as a promise maker? I think God's a promise breaker. There's the fear in our heart. If any of us have lived life long enough following Jesus, we read things in the Scripture, and the fear is like, man, I don't know if I can trust God right now in this moment. I don't know if I can. But Isaiah, by using one word, the promise kind of language, he will do this, I will do this, this coming figure, shall, 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 like a battering ram. Isaiah is battering down the barrier of fear that we erect around our hearts and minds because he is telling us that the unshakable hope of God's king, this king shall arrive and this king shall bring the salvation we need. This is the good news of Christmas here in Isaiah 11. In other words, Isaiah is giving us this invitation. I want you as the people of God to keep dreaming. I want you to keep hoping for the future because, verse 1, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Now that's just sort of weird language. I don't talk like that. I'm guessing you don't talk like this when you go to work on Monday mornings. But what Isaiah is doing, he's, he's painting a picture. He's using metaphor language to paint a picture. This figure, Jesse, in here isn't just a random name that he drew out of a, a bag of names. This name, Jesse, is the father of King David. And so with some sort of like, like metaphorical flourish, he's saying, hey, do you guys all remember how the father, man Jesse, gave birth to a boy named David, the little shepherd boy that no one thought would be king but actually grew up to become king? And how God did all the amazing things that he did through him. He's saying, I want you to remember the lineage of King David. I want you to remember the promises that were made to King David. How King David would have a king in his family lineage that would one day sit on a throne and rule forever. And of his kingdom, there would be no end. Do you guys remember those promises? And the people in Isaiah's day, of course we remember those promises. Those, like Those are the promises that get us out of bed in the morning. 
And he's saying what you need to know is that from King David's lineage is going to come this little shoot, this little, this little obscure thing. If you've ever seen farm fields in the spring around here when that seed germinates and that little green sprout pierces through the dirt of, the, of central Illinois, that dark black dirt, you, you know is that little shoot seems so little, so unassuming, like surely nothing's going to come of that little shoot. But what we know is if you just wait for a little bit, that little shoot and this word becomes a branch. That branch actually matures, and then fruit comes from that little shoot. And what Isaiah is doing is he's saying, guys, there's going to come from the lineage of King David one who's going to seem small, seem obscure, but he's going to be the branch that bears the fruit of salvation that you and I need. If you continue on through verses 3, 4, and 5, what Isaiah says is, listen, here's more promise language for you. This figure will be the only one who can save us from our sin. Verse 2, he will have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Verse 3, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Verse 4, he shall defend the weak and he shall slay the wicked. So he's going to be a just judge, this just king. Verse 5, he shall be clothed with righteousness and faithfulness. This morning I got up and I tried to find the most Christmassy button-up shirt that I owned and I clothed myself with it. King Jesus wears righteousness like you're wearing your button-up this morning. King Jesus is clothed in faithfulness. He can be trusted. Isaiah says these things and it's like he's whispering to you in your ear right now, why don't you come? You can trust this king that is to come. You can put your confidence in this promise of salvation that I've just painted before you. But again, where are we at? Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. If you are thinking through anything what I've said to morning, this morning so far, it's this. You should be asking, where is the proof that this promise has come to pass. Because so far, Isaiah is saying this shall happen. He's, he's talking in future tense language. Is this cheap talk from a prophet? Or is this real talk from God? Where's the proof? Where's the results, Isaiah, here in chapter 11? We hear your words and we see that these words are good. Like, do you not long for the day when verses 6, 7, 8, and 9 take place? Don't you long for the day where the king who clothes himself with righteousness and faithfulness is ruling the world in which you live? Don't you long for the place where the prince of peace ushers in the kind of peace that you see in verses 6, 7, and 8 where there's no more war, no more conflict, no more sorrow. Death has been swallowed up like we read this morning. Tears are wiped away from fa faces and the veil that covers the earth, if you remember, that's what we read this morning, it's the veil of death, the veil of sin. One day this king is going to come and swallow it up and it's going to be eradicated forever. We see this promise and if there's anything alive in your heart, you're like, man, I want this to be true. I can't wait for this to be true. There's something deep in our hearts that wants this Isaiah 11 promise to be true. We desire for it to be true. But if we're honest, it sounds too good to be true. And we say it sounds too good to be true because we have eyeballs. And we look around. 
And we go, where is all this stuff? Because remember, what we're saying is salvation has come some 2,000 years ago when the Bethlehem baby was born and the midnight sky was cracked open by the angels singing glory to God in the highest. And then some 30-ish years later, this one went to the cross, was crucified for our sins, was buried, truly dead, resurrecting on the third day. But if we look around, we go, I don't know that there's any wolves dwelling with lambs. I don't see leopards lying down with young goats. I see leopards eating young goats. Like, where's this kind of peace? Where's the faithfulness? Where's the righteousness? Where is this king? It all sounds too good to be true. Our world is flooded with announcement upon announcement of violence, injustice, abuse of power, homelessness, refugees fleeing oppression, families ripped apart, racism, wars, rumors of wars, envy, strife, bottomless grief. Is this cheap talk? Is Isaiah 11 cheap talk? How is it that the wolf is going to live with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat and the calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them? How is it that the cow is going to feed with the bear, their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like an ox? How is it that the infant will play near the hole of the cobra and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest? How is it that our sin-ruined world will one day become a place where people will neither harm nor destroy? All you got to do is look at your newsfeed and see that that is not a reality yet in our world. There are people harming and destroying one another. But Isaiah says there's coming a day when that won't be the case. Actually, what's going to be the case is that the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We hear Isaiah, we lift up our eyes, we look out our window, we turn on our news feed, and we struggle to believe. We struggle and we ask the question, could this be true? Could it be true? For many, the answer is no. There's just too much of a disconnect. Isaiah is cheap talk. God is a cheap-talking God. He's a promise-breaking God. Yeah, I know what he said here, but my world, the dissonance between the world I live in and the world Isaiah is talking about, it doesn't make sense. And so they draw the conclusion. Could this be true? No. But there are some. There are some who look at Isaiah 11 and the answer is yes. Yes, this could be true. And the reason why they can say this promise is true is because the proof of God's promises being true is Christmas. The proof of God's promises being true, coming to pass, not being a bunch of cheap talk, is Christmas. You see, 700 years after Isaiah and Micah said what they said about this coming one, 400 years after Malachi, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's surprise pregnancy, you jump into the gospel in Luke, and guess what you hear? Luke tells us that the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. That's Isaiah 9 coming to pass. 
born to a virgin, which is Isaiah 7, coming to pass. Betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, which is 2 Samuel 7 and our text this morning, Isaiah 11, coming to pass. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now Mary's fiancé found out from his conversation with the angel, you shall call this baby boy's name Jesus. Why? Matthew explains, because he will, there's the promise language, he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means the Lord is salvation. And now this one, Jesus, isn't going to say like the prophets, hey, look forward to this salvation that's going to come, but his name is Jesus because he is the salvation that God has been promising to the prophets for all these centuries. Luke continues in that conversation with Mary, listen to the promise language. This son of yours, Jesus, Jesus will be great. And Jesus will be called the son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And Jesus will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. It's just promise language, promise language being heaped up. But in the gospel accounts, it's God saying, told you so. I ain't no liar. I ain't no cheap-talking God. I am a safe place for your faith to rest. I say what I mean, and I mean what I say. You see, the good news of Christmas is that Isaiah and Micah and Malachi were telling the truth. With the birth of Jesus, God kept His promises. And guess what? This means something for you on this Christmas Eve morning. Perhaps you're here this morning, and you're like, man, I hear, I hear that dude talking up front. I see his lips moving. I can hear his words in my ear, but I don't know that I believe what he's saying. That's, that's legitimately where some of us might be this morning. You're here, and God doesn't feel close to you, but God feels horribly far from you. God feels extremely distant. God feels hidden. God feels unknowable to you. Perhaps you feel lost this morning. You're like, dude, don't, don't just stop there. I mean, he's not distant, hidden, unknowable. Like, God feels lost. Like, I don't know if I could find, find God if he was staring me in my face. He feels that far away from me. And in your lostness, perhaps you'd say, I would add to that, Pastor Jonathan, that there's a restlessness in my heart. And my restless heart is searching to find rest in something, in anything, this Christmas. And the answer that you're trying to find is the answer to the question, could it be true? Could it be true that God's not a promise breaker? Could it be true that God is actually a promise keeper? Maybe the Christmas question you're wrestling with is this, could it be true that God's answer for my restless heart is a Bethlehem baby. 
Could it be true that God's answer for the restlessness of my heart is Christmas? Could it be true that the restlessness in my heart is found in that low-born king born in a manger who was born to die so that I might live? Could it be true that God isn't hidden from me, but has actually drawn near to me? I couldn't find Him, but He came and found me. Could it be true that God did so in Jesus, whose name is Emmanuel, God with us? Could it be true that God became one of us, not to condemn us, but actually to save us? Could it be true that with the arrival of Jesus, your salvation has actually come? Could it be true that the one gift you need this Christmas, the gift of eternal life, could actually be received on this Christmas Eve, 2023? Could it be true that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Do you hear the Christmas language in John 3.16? God gave you a gift. And what was that gift? He gave His only Son. Friends, the resounding shout of Christmas is that all of this is true in Jesus. Truly in Jesus, God's gift of salvation has come. And the Christmas invitation for you is to receive that gift today. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for all that you do. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for accomplishing on the cross what had to be accomplished and could only be accomplished through you. The sacrifice necessary that had to be paid so that sinners could have their sins atoned for. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, stir in our hearts right now hearts of thankful praise as we turn our attention on how to properly respond to the salvation that has come in you. It's in your name, King Jesus, that I pray these things. Amen.